Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Crystal Silence League Hour tonight. Oh, we got stuff to talk about tonight. So why don't you just come back in, oh, I don't know, about 30 seconds and with your crystal ball in hand, and we shall see what happens. It seems like my control panel, once again, is locked up on me. And I thought Mercury retrograde was over, but no, Mercury hangs around for a few days afterward, and we'll come back in just um, just a few minutes. See you in a minute. Oh, what the heck, we're back. No musical interlude, no musical segue, etc. It said, oh, you know, hey, there it goes a little bit. And no, we don't need you now. Go away. I guess we're going to have it, whether we want it or not. Enjoy, enjoy a little music, folks. Hell, I'm going to sit back and have a drink of coffee. And there we go. I have a little bit of control. You know, this is a numerological three-year, and the numerological three-year for the first three or four months is utter chaos. And on top of that, we had the Mercury retrograde, and it's been crazy. Yesterday, my car died. I was just coming home from dropping my granddaughter off, and it just went, mm, lost all power. And I had a dropping feeling in my stomach because my car has like 305,000 miles on it. It's 21 years old, and I love that car. I love it like family. And I thought, well, maybe this is it. So I had it towed to my mechanic, and all it was, the distributor died, and it was fixed. It didn't cost that much, about $600 to fix it. That's the good thing about old cars. It doesn't cost that much to fix them. And it runs like a new car today, but Mercury Retrograde finally got me. And as I say, anybody can get got. I love it when people get on Facebook and say, yeah, come at me, come at me, 
come at me, bro. My spirits, my protection are, are invaluable, invariable. I'm like, no, no, anybody can get God. I don't care how strong you are. Anybody can get God. I don't care how strong you think your spirits are and your protection. Anybody can get God. Anybody can. This is the Crystal Silence League, a prayer network of a million people. When we pray for you, though, I'm not sure you can get God. I shouldn't say that. Anybody can be smoten. Anybody can be smoten. I mean, heck. Look Look what's happened to the most powerful people in the world. Tonight, we're going to talk about uh, the high priestess, so we may actually move on to the empress. We don't know. I never know. I, I walk a tightrope, folks. It doesn't take much to blow me off that rope into many different tangents. We just have to see. But first, let me tell you that the Crystal Silence League was founded around 1917 by a magical addict named Claude Alexander Conlon for the purpose of sending out positive prayer and affirmation for all those in need. And when he passed into the silence around 1954, the League went with him until around 2007 or so. Magical adepts of Missionary Independent Spiritual Church brought it back to life. Of course, now we are the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches with an umbrella covers Missionary Independent Spiritual Church and several others, including Divine Harmony Spiritual Church, of which I am the pastor. And if you go to our page, www.crystalsilenceleague.org, you'll see lots and lots and lots of uh, prayers that people post. We get about between one and 200 prayers a month, and prayer is always free at the Crystal Silence League. We do have a gift shop where you can buy things, such as uh, literature and books and uh, crystals and all sorts of stuff. And I urge you to do so because it supports a good cause, namely the Crystal Silence League. But first, let's have our crystal of the week, which is uh, Atacomite. And Atacomite is a uh, dark green crystal, which resonates mostly with the third eye, even though it's dark green. It's dark green bordering on turquoise to blue. And it's sometimes called uh, remelinite. And uh, sometimes it's powdered into sand form for to be sprinkled around. And it, at that form, it's called Peruvian green sand, which is how I first was introduced to it. And it's uh, fairly rare. Uh, so it can cost you a little bit of money, but you don't need a piece you know, the size of a bowling ball to make it work. You just need a little bit, enough to put on your third eye chakra. And... This is probably the most powerful stone that you can find for helping you open the third eye to powerful and intense psychic visions. It's also beneficial in meditation, although I found that if you're not experienced in meditative absorption, it can skyrocket you into very deep and profound meditative states for which you may not be ready. Uh, it's said that it stimulates the pineal gland to activate the third eye. Uh, there's another stone that will do this, the Elliot stone. And uh, uh, if you work these in combination or in tandem, put one on one day, one on the other, uh, you'll experience uh, remarkable push-pull symptoms or uh, sensations. And uh, it can help you develop your psychic abilities. 
very good for working spirit guides, angelic entities, uh, extra-dimensional beings, etc. Uh, if you're already a clairvoyant, clairaudient, uh, psychometrician, etc., this can take your ability to a whole new level. Uh, some people say it can uh, help protect your astral being from psychic attack. Never used it for that. I use other stones for that, but it's it's very good. Um, so on the uh, material, on the physical realm, it can uh, since it's the third eye, it can help you with mental clarity and help you express your ideas more clearly. It is a copper compound. So uh, if you make an elixir, don't use a direct method. Don't drop it directly into water. It's copper chloride, and um, you don't want to uh, drink that. You really don't. So use an indirect method where the stone is placed safely in a sealed container. The container itself is lowered into the water, and that's uh, atacomite. A very useful stone. I have a whole collection of different green crystals and stones for various purposes. I love the green and the orange stones. I have a whole bunch of them. If you go to www.crystalsilenceleague.org, you know, I have segue music, and I'm afraid to... I'm going to try it. Let's try my segue music. Let's try it. Let's see if it works. There it is. My groovy funkadelic Segway music. Now it works. You know, now the now the switchboard works. The control panel works. Now it works. Now it works. Does it work at the beginning? You know, you know they play their advertisement at the beginning, and I think it, it uh, takes it assumes control of the control panel and doesn't relinquish it because uh, Block Talk is somewhere uh, in England or uh, somewhere, and. Um, it must take a little while for it to throw the ball back to me. But eventually it does, and then uh, I have control. And I have it. I sure do have it now. www.crystalsilenceleague.org And you'll go to the prayer page. And we have many, many, many of them. And if you like, you can pray along with me. I never call names out. We're anonymous there. And uh, I do call out the prayer ID number, though. So why don't we begin? Get your crystal balls out or any shiny object or none. Pray pray with your heart. Prayer ID 81743, who says, I'm an online reseller, and my business is really unpredictable. I don't want to have to shut down, but sometimes it's very scary. Right now I'm in a real drought, so please pray that I can make some sales soon. Thank you and blessings to you and yours. Amen. Prayer ID 81742. Well, you know, you're in a drought because it was tax season. Everybody had to pay their taxes, and uh, um, I had to pay a little bit more this year, I think. Lord, I humbly come before you to ask for forgiveness as I hurt immensely the one I love while my act was egregious, now that's a word you don't hear every day. My act was egregious. It is by far not a reflection of my character than that of a moment in which I made a poor choice. I wonder if this was 
a relic of the mercury retrograde. Um, this has been a very bad retrograde and lots of um, egregious and regrettable uh, events occurred in relationships this past month. It is by far not a reflection of my character than that of a moment in which I made a poor choice. Therefore, I'm attempting to mend the fractured heart of the one I love. Lord, I ask you to permit P to be open to receiving the love I have for her and for reconciliation to occur that will result in us reentering a romantic relationship. I ask, Lord, for you to allow her forgiveness to permit us to start anew, leaving my act in the past and to have a stronger relationship than before. Amen. I believe that this will be successful because most of the stuff that happens during the retrograde will be undone. Prayer ID 81741. Prayers needed for a new home. Please pray that it is not for my highest good to move, that I will be able to find the right home for me and my children's needs, and that it is in good location for their schools and financially affordable for me and allow my cat. And also that I will be unable that I will be able to sell my old home easily and for a fair price. Thank you so much for praying. Praying your prayers are answered to Amen. And prayer ID 81740, my prayer is for blessings and prosperity to come upon my life so that the mortgage and car payment, along with utility bills to get paid on time and enough money to buy a new pair of shoes to wear to work because the ones I wear look very badly worn. I also pray that there is something to smile about through all my sadness. Oh, amen. Prayer ID 81739. Help me to find $500 to fix some issues. Send your angel, Barakiel, to bless me at work with my team and supervisor. Victory over adversity. Angel Barakiel, bless me in my body, health, and mind, legs, and muscles. Bless my home, my room, finances, my pay, my investment. Amen. Prayer ID 81738, I've been having increasing issues of pain, depression, and thoughts of suicide after three years and two car accidents caused by other drivers. I'm struggling and need help. Amen. Hang in there. It's going to get better. Prayer ID 81737, I pray St. Expedi will forgive me for anything I've done if I've offended him. I promise if I did, it was unintentional. I'm always greatly appreciative of any and all you've done for me. Please accept my apology. Prayer ID 81735. Heavenly Father, please heal my cousin M.M. Please let her radiation therapy be a success. Please let the scan show it's working for her. She has a three-year-old son who needs his mommy. Help her, Lord. She needs a miracle. Please grant this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer ID 81734. Pray that my court situation will be dismissed under misunderstanding and false allegations and dismissed in a new court-appointed attorney and grant a continuance. Win. Amen. And prayer ID 81733, Dear St. Jude, Patron of Hopeless Causes, I'm in need of a financial windfall. 
I've been working diligently, and I just need to see the fruits of my labors. Please provide immediate finances to my household so we can go back out and replenish our stock and also pay off bills and be current in the checkbook and some extra wham money. We appreciate all that you provide and can use the help as soon as possible. We love you. Hugs and kisses and amen. Prayer ID 81732. Local businesses are interested in being on my list of stockists. I curate custom tea menus and tastings for them. How interesting. Lord has already given me five loyal and local stockists. Everyone who prays for me, I pray all your blessings flow through. Amen. Prayer ID 81731. Lord, I pray with all my heart that I'm offered a position at the neuropsychologist's office that I interviewed it a few weeks ago. How interesting is that? Lord, I pray that they will contact me soon with a job offer. Lord, this job would be perfect for me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Prayer ID 81730. I want to find true love. I think it's time now, dear, to grant me this wish. I have passed my service, and it's been many years. Please remove all standing blocks in my way regarding this. Amen. Prayer ID 81729. Favoring court for my 16-year-old. G, thank you for your prayers. As we join hands to uplift G during her waiver hearing, on April 11th, please pray Psalms 120 with us. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto thee? We ask that favor is bestowed upon G, and that the judge is merciful and kind to waive the points associated with the ticket G received. It was an honest mistake. We're asking for favor Thank you, and amen. Let's have one more. Prayer ID 81725. Pray that all legal action be dropped immediately by the company, its owners, and their lawyers, and that our organization is free and successful in signing contracts with the company that won our fair and balanced competition for services. Amen. Let's have a moment of prayer and meditation for all those in need of comfort and support.
Amen. May all beings be blessed. There has been, since around um, the early 13th century, persistent legend of a female pope. And I will read to you the testimony of a certain uh, Dominican monk Jean de Malier in a chronicle, uh, the Chronica Universalis Natensis, written in the early 13th century. This is the earliest mention of the female pope. And in his telling, uh, these events were set in the year 1099. And this female pope is nameless. She's anonymous. But according uh, to Jean de Malier, Query, concerning a certain pope, or rather female pope, who is not set down in the list of popes or bishops of Rome, because she was a woman who disguised herself as a man and became, by her character and talents, a curial secretary, then a cardinal and finally pope. One day, while mounting a horse, she gave birth to a child. Immediately, by Roman justice, she was bound by the feet to a horse's tail and dragged and stoned by the people for half a league. And where she died, there she was buried. And at the place is written, Petre Petre Patrum, Papise Prodito Partum, which means, O Peter, father of fathers, betray the childbearing of the woman pope. At the same time, the four-day fast called the fast of the female pope was first established. So the story by Jean de Malier was picked up and carried on by the fellow Dominican Stephen of Bourbon, who adapted it for his work on the seven gifts of the Holy Ghost. But the legend persisted and was elaborated by Martin of Opava in the 13th century. And uh, this version could have been uh, elaborated by Martin himself, or by then it may have gained momentum. And uh, the Pope was known as John Angelicus, or John of Mainz. And it also changes the date from the 11th to the 9th century, indicating that Pope Joan, as she became known, reigned between Pope Leo IV and Benedict III. So according to um, Martin, John Angelicus, born at Mainz, was pope for two years, seven months, and four days, and died in Rome, after which there was a vacancy in the papacy of one month. It's claimed that this John was a woman, who as a girl had been led to Athens dressed in the clothes of a man by a certain lover of hers. There she became proficient in a diversity of branches of knowledge, until she had no equal. And afterward in Rome, she taught the liberal arts and had great masters among her students and audience. A high opinion of her life and learning arose in the city, and she was chosen for pope 
and while pope, however, she became pregnant by her companion. Through ignorance of the exact time when the birth was expected, she was delivered of a child while in procession from St. Peter's to the Lateran, in a lane once named Via Sacra, the Sacred Way, but now known as Shunned Street, between the Colosseum and St. Clement's Church. And after her death, it is said, she was buried in that same place. The Lord Pope always turns aside from the street, and it's believed by many that this is done because of abhorrence of the event. Nor is she placed on the list of holy pontiffs, both because of her female sex and on account of the foulness of the matter. So other references of this female pope are attributed to early writers, although none appear in the manuscripts that predate the Chronicon. She turns up quite often, and uh, there's there's a manuscript in the Vatican Library that bears a relevant manuscript and footnotes. Um, some versions of the legend suggest that subsequent popes were subjected to an examination whereby uh, they would sit on a chair that had a hole in the bottom of it, kind of like a, a potty. In fact, this chair was called the Sedgia Stercorania, or dung chair, and it contained a hole and uh, a cardinal. And how, I don't know how you got this job. Maybe you drew the short straw, had to reach up and establish that the new pope had testicles. And he would announce, Duos habit et bene pendentes, which means he has two and they dangle nicely. I'm not making this up. I am not making this up. I researched this. Or for short, he would say habit which means he has them. I am not making this up. The Pope-to-be had to prove that he had testicles. It is documented. Even though it is claimed the female Pope was a legend, for some time, the incoming Pope had to prove that he was a card-carrying male. So there are other associated legends as well as the Papa, for the Pappas. Um, in the uh, late 13th century, the Dominican Robert of Utsis recounts a vision in which he saw the seat where it is said the Pope has proven to be a man. So Pope Joan has been associated with marvelous happenings. Petrarch himself wrote in the Chronica de la Vitti di Pontifici e Imperadori Romani, that after Pope Joan had been revealed as a woman, in Brescia it rained blood for three days and nights. In France there appeared marvelous locusts, which had six wings and very powerful teeth. They flew miraculously through the air and all drowned in the British Sea. The golden bodies were rejected by the waves of the sea and corrupted the air, so a great many people died. This is Petrarch. So from the mid-century onward, the legend was widely believed. It was common knowledge that there was a female pope and her name was Joan. So um, there's many accounts. I could I could go on and on. Many accounts. Uh, uh, pope Joan uh, uh, reigned disguised as a man 
Pope John VIII, um, and was said to have arrived at the Popedom through evil art, disguising herself as a man. Uh, she was a woman. Um, she had a lover who was a man, uh, was a woman of prodigious learning and wisdom and knowledge. Um, there were very few people who could equal her in wisdom and knowledge and uh, fairness of ru ruling. Um, she had a great deal of respect and authority. Uh, and she was, uh, upon the death of Pope Leo IV, by common consent, she was chosen pope. And apparently as she was going to the Lateran Church between the Colosseum Theater and St. Clement's, um, she went to labor and died upon the place, uh, her reign being two years, one month, and four days, and she was buried there. Once she was discovered to be a woman, it was a great scandal, and they buried her on the spot. Um, there were a great many agreed-upon facts about Pope Joan, the female pope. Now, the reason we're interested in this um, is that Pope Joan, the Pappas, is found upon Trump II in the Tarot of Marseille and early tarots before being transmogrified into the High Priestess. And this is what we know about this. Um, a very interesting history. Uh, because throughout the Middle Ages, the story persisted. It was persisted that a woman was once elected pope before the Vatican kind of swept it aside as uh, poo, poo, poo. Um, and Pope Joan may have been a legend. However, in the late 13th century, the Visconti, who you might remember, uh, contracted to have the tarot invented. The very first tarot deck was uh, contracted by the Visconti, had a real Pappas. The Visconti Pappas was very real. In the late 13th century, an Italian group called the Guglielmites believed that their founder, uh, Guglielma of Bohemia, who died in 1281, would rise again in 1300, would rise again from the grave, and begin a new age in which women would be popes. So, jumping ahead, they elected a woman named Manfreda Visconti as the very first papas. And the church graphically ended this heresy by burning Sister Manfreda in 1300, the year of the expected new age. So some hundred years later, the same Visconti family commissioned the very first set of tarot cards, as we know them, and among these unnumbered trumps appeared a picture of a woman that later Dex titled the Papas. And this name persisted until the 18th century when uh, when the court, when court de Gebelin, believing the tarot to originate in the Isis region of ancient Egypt, changed the name to the High Priestess. And so today, depending on the deck um, that you, that you uh, use, both names exist, as well as uh, some decks that call the High Priestess Veiled Isis. And the weight image of the card derives directly from the Isis Priestess' symbolic clothing, particularly uh, her crown, that represents the three phases of the moon. So the Pope Joan legend 
and Manfredo Visconti are not simply historical curiosities, but very powerful historical archetypal symbols. They illustrate this major social movement in the Middle Ages, which was the reintroduction of the female and the feminine principles into religion and cosmology. We're talking about the 1200s. We're talking about the 1100s, even as far back as the 1000s when women ascended to the highest political throne in Europe. The Pope was higher than the kings and queens. Why did this legend persist? The images and concepts associated with the masculine role had dominated the church and Jewish religions for centuries. So ordinary people experienced these uh, rulers um, as remote and harsh father figures who were unapproachable. All they talked about was sin and judgment and punishment being smoten, right? They wanted and craved a mother figure. They wanted mercy and love and nurturing support. The, the era of the goddess had been suppressed by this paternalistic church. The, the god, the punisher, they wanted mercy, love, nurturing support. They identified these, am I right, with women. Like, just as a mother would shelter her child, the, uh, the belt of the father, uh, the female deity supposedly would intrude for the pathetic sinners against the unremitting judgment of the father. We're talking about a church that invented the torture chamber. So, so it's interesting that originally uh, the church that was the front man for Christ, who was the um, white light of God's love, uh, presumably, turned into this uh, rather cruel institution. Um, Christ was Christ came forward to teach love, acceptance, love your neighbor, doing to others, and the church became a very cruel institution. But the but the people wanted a female. Even the idea of Mother Church wasn't enough. So the church eventually uh, made a compromise by raising the Virgin Mary uh, almost to the same level of Christ itself. Was it enough? Maybe, maybe not. The legend of Pope Joan, a female pope, had such a evocative appeal. Let's make a female pope. If not in reality, then at least in legend. So many writers and scholars and theologians believe that the elevation of Mary um, originated in the church's desire incorporate the goddess religion from pre-Christian days into the church in an acceptable way. And if this is true, it indicate um, not so much a uh, uh, a uh, conservatism on the church's part, 
but the power of the the feminine archetype to maintain a hold on society and in the minds of the human race. So um, in Judaism, the official religion uh, of the rabbis managed to resist uh, insurgent feminism until we start talking about uh, the Shekinah, which we will when we talk about the Empress. The people's need, though, um, for this mother did take hold in the long tradition of the Kabbalah. And we'll, we'll talk about that um, when we talk about the uh, hermaphroditic image of Adam split in half and uh, the Shekinah. So we have this benign motherly quality of female mythological figures. However, um, when we look at the old religions, female deities do have a dark side. So if you introduce the female um, as an archetypal figure, we've got to look at both sides, the, the nurturing motherly side and the dark side. So the tarot splits the feminine archetype into two trumps and actually assigns the benign qualities to trump two, the empress. The high priestess herself represents a deeper and more subtle aspect of the female the dark and the mysterious and the hidden. So as such, she connects the virginal qualities of the mother of Christ, the Virgin Mary, the pure daughter side of the Shekinah, who is the universal woman, mother, daughter, wife, with the power of the subconscious mind. Now, when we look at this, uh, we do have to understand that until very recently, the assigning of qualities to women, uh, even in our beloved Rider Weight deck, arises mostly from men until very recently. Um, and most of the occultists deplored this separation, this male-female duality. And we see this uh, idea of unification, male-female unification, at the very end of the uh, spectrum with the world, Dancer of the Tarot, the hermaphroditic world, which way down the line, and we'll look at that. Uh, and they were ahead of the time. Uh, because when you look at up to about the 19th century, and this may shock some of you, but look at it, up to about the 19th century, um, the established religions of the world debated whether women had souls at all, which is shocking, but true. And, but the um, occultists have always maintained that man and woman were two halves of a whole, that the separation of man and woman was only... Uh, illusionary in surface. So the high priestess represents qualities of darkness, mystery, psychic forces, and the power of the moon to stir the subconscious. The high priestess sits on her throne in a passive sense, 
but alert. Uh, the wisdom gained from contemplation. Uh, this wisdom is not a wisdom that can be expressed in rational terms. And to try to express this wisdom in rational terms would be to lose it. It would be to falsify it. It would be to limit it. Uh, and most people at some time have felt they understood something in such a deep way, in such an uh, intuitive way, that they, they can't explain it. It's an understanding beyond words. And this is why we have myths and legends. This Myths and legends serve as metaphors of a wisdom that cannot be put into rational words. The myths themselves, like the symbols within them, are truths that cannot be put into rational linear explanations. So the high priestess signifies an inner wisdom at its deepest level. Now she sits before two pillars, and this is profoundly important. She sits between two pillars, which represents both the temple of Isis and the ancient Hebrew temple in Jerusalem, which was the believed to be the dwelling place of God on earth. In other words, the home of the Shekinah. And if you look at the these pillars on the Rider Wake card, it's B and J. And I, I've heard so many guesses at what that means, but it's Boaz and Yaquin. And uh, we could uh, we could talk about that a little bit. Uh, Boaz and Yaquin. Well. Boaz and Joachim are mentioned in the Bible. These were the two pillars of the temple of Jerusalem within which God lived. Um, uh, Chronicles 17 states, Behold, and he raised up the pillars before the temple, one on the right hand and the other on the left, and called the name of that on the right Joachim, and that on the left Boaz. And Joachim means stands firm, and Baiz means stands mighty. Now these two pillars have guarded the entrance of sacred and mysterious places. And uh, the, uh, you know, of course, the Freemasons uh, uh, place a great deal of symbolism on uh, Boaz and Yaquim. They have a lot of symbology about it, uh, as do most occultic um, groups about the pillars. The pillars were made of brass or bronze, and uh, so uh, 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 one was made of uh, copper, one was made of zinc, usually, and one of a dark metal, one of a light metal, the sun and the moon. And uh, so um, the, um, the Bible says he made two pillars of brass of 18 cubits high apiece, and a line of 12 cubits did compass either of them about. And he made two – this is very precise. The measurements are very precise. And he made two chapters of molten brass to set upon the tops of the pillars. The height of the one chapter was five cubits, and the height of the other chapter was five cubits. The nets of checker work and wreaths of chain work for the chapters, which were upon the tops of the pillars, seven for one chapter and seven for the other chapters. And he made the pillars and two rows upon the one network to cover the chapters that were upon the top with pomegranates, 
and so he did for the other chapters. And the lily work upon the top of the chapters were of four cubits. And as the right pillar was set up, he named it Joachim, and as he set up the left pillar, he named it Boaz, and so the work of the pillars was finished. So this account of Solomon's temple uh, is of great importance of Freemasonry, as each detail of the building holds an important esoteric meaning. And if you want to read about it, uh, there have been tons of literature about the esoteric meaning of these two pillars. But what we know is that it represent the dark side of the consciousness and the light side of the consciousness. Um, the um, the um, if we just take it literally, firm, upright, stable, power or might. The uh, the one on the right means he shall establish, and the one on the left means in it his strength. Um, the um, so the um, the papas or the high priestess sits in the middle. There's so many multiple layers of meaning in this card. Um, you could talk about it for a week. The pomegranates, the uh, the crown with the three phases of the moon representing cycles. How many that these things happen in cycles? The um, um, the Kabbalistic um, teachings that these pillars represent Sipharoth, the tree of life, and that they represent the qualities of mercy and severity. Uh, Kabbalistically, the name of the two pillars mean in strength shall my house be established. The high priest stands between as a silent witness to the virtue of the middle path, equilibrium, the point from all extremes. This divine nature of enlightenment, the uh, freedom of duality, the um, Pomegranates, whole mythologies are around pomegranates. Um, Persephone descended into the underworld, and as long as she did not eat the seeds of the pomegranate, she was allowed to return to the surface. As soon as she ate a seed of the pomegranate, she could not. Behind the high priestess is a veil. The veil conceals what's within the temple. But the veil itself is not very, it's not a wall, it's not a brick. All we have to do is part the veil and we're, we're granted the mysteries of the temple, the kingdom of God. Because a lot of people think, they assume that we're somehow forbidden to pass beyond the high priestess into the temple. But that veil is diaphanous. All we have to do is ask. In her lap, she has the Torah, the Book of Wisdom. So we're looking at a description of intuition tempered by wisdom. We're not forbidden to enter the temple, 
We just have to know how to do it. And if we entered behind the veil, we would know consciously the irrational wisdom of the unconscious. We have to rationally know the irrationality of the consciousness. So I'm going to talk a little bit about intuition. Um, I can't tell you how much nonsense we hear about intuition. Um, I was at a psychic fair, and I well, trust intuition, trust intuition. No, no, no. Um, here's the difference. Um, there, there have been studies about intuition. There have been studies, scientific controlled studies about intuition. And uh, if you want to read some of these, Malcolm Gladwell's written a number of books uh, that have synopsized the very difficult <laughs> to read studies about intuition. Intuition has been tested. You cannot argue with facts. Facts are facts. Now, you can argue with opinions about facts. But you can't argue with the facts themselves. Well, you can, but you know that's called denial. Intuition has been tested. There are two types of intuition. There's trained and disciplined intuition. And then there's untrained intuition, undisciplined intuition. If, if you know your subject, if you're trained in a field, your intuition can approach genius level. If you're knowledgeable, very knowledgeable in a field, if you're trained, if you trained your discipline and tested it and refined it by experience, your intuition can be near genius. If you've not trained in a field, if you've not disciplined your intuition, it is no better than flipping a coin. And so many people in the field that I'm in you know, in the divination field, have never trained or studied or disciplined it. And they, they tell me that. They tell me that they don't know anything about the meaning of the cards. They they tell and they're proud of it. They'll say, oh, no, I don't know anything about that. I just deal them out and uh, use my intuition. And I'm going to tell you that that is no better than flipping a coin. It has been tested. Yes, if you deal a lot of cards and say a lot of stuff, some of it will hit. And that is well known in this business. The old people call it a shotgun reading. It's called a shotgun reading. If you throw enough stuff out, some of it will hit. And if you're doing it for somebody who's not particularly critical, uh, they'll say, yeah, yeah, a lot of that, some of that, yeah, hit. And... Uh, Somebody who's uh, in a uh, desperate situation, you, you deal out a lot of cards and you know a little bit about it and you throw out a lot of information, it's called a shotgun reading. Meaning if you fire a shotgun at a bird, some of the pellets will hit the bird. That's why it's called a shotgun reading. It doesn't mean you're a good reader. It does not mean you know what you're doing. And it doesn't mean your intuition is any good. Flipping a coin. If you flip a coin a hundred times, it will come up heads half the time. You know, you'll, if you and your friend go out drinking and you flip a coin 50 times, you will pay for the drink half the time and your friend will pay for the drink half the time, unless your luck is really bad. It's about as good as flipping a coin, untrained intuition. The high priestess tells us that intuition is great, 
she's got the phases of the moon on her head that things are cyclic things come in their proper time intuition observation is great but she has the wisdom of the torah in her lap you also have to know what you're doing access to the subconscious wonderful yes but you got to know what you're doing too balanced between the light and the dark and the teachings of the tree of life are right behind her in the veil if you want to know the ultimate wisdom you want access to the mind of god it's not it's not free and if it were if you just walk behind her if you force your way into that that's the path of madness we'll be right back after station identification And we're back. We can always be seduced by our own subconscious, can't we? The uh, the of uh, following the urgings of our subconscious. We say something feels right. Something feels right, so let's do it. And um, sometimes this gap between the um, um, the light and the dark, those two pillows, um, the the letters B and J, we notice the ingenuity, the ingenuity of putting the white letter on the black pole and the and the black letter on the white pole, like, like the yin-yang symbol, opposites contained in each one. How wonderful, how wonderful Pamela Smith was. Um, each each uh, side carrying the opposite. The dark boa stands for passivity and mystery, the unknown. Uh, Yaquin symbolizes action and conscious and rationality. But each one carries the seed of the other, doesn't it? Uh, each one depends on the other. If any one of those pillars were missing, the temple would crash down. And the high priestess herself is the third pillar. She is the third pillar, because without her, what good is the unconscious? Without her, what good is rationality? Without the passive observer, the ego, what good is it? What good is the self? What good is it without the self, the the person who makes the decisions, the watcher? Uh, she represents awareness. She's the person with the wisdom. She's holding the wisdom. How ob- I mean, how obvious is that? How can we miss that? She's holding the. She is the um, the silent watcher. Um, she's holding the wisdom in her lap. <laughs> you know, she she represents the ego, the self, and she's sitting there. And 
it is the self, of course, that is abandoned during enlightenment, but it's really the self that achieves enlightenment. So there she is, um, holding the book of the law, the Torah, the five books of Moses. And um, this particular spelling is very interesting because it's easily an anagram of also tarot, T-A-R-O, and you see that a couple of times. You'll see it on the Wheel of Fortune. Uh, the Wheel of Fortune has tarot, which can be rearranged as Rhoda and tarot. Um, and Ator. So um, we can um, see this scroll that she's holding as um, rolled up, partially concealed, uh, as the higher knowledge closed to us with our lower understanding, but available to us with our higher understanding. Now, sometimes these cards come to us at a crucial moment in our lives. This is what we believe in divination. The fool comes to us at a time when we need to be pushed along outside the rules of uh, society. Um, so this gap between the the fool and the empress is when the high priestess comes in, right? We can be very easily seduced by this uh, this dark, cool lady, right? Even if we never really penetrate all the secrets, there's a lot of secrets represented by this card. The, the infinite potential of the subconscious, everything that lies in there, the entire potential that lies in wait behind that veil. There's um, in most of our ordinary situations, sometimes life's very overwhelming, right? There's It's vast. There's mysteries um, so sometimes you just have to stop. You just have to stop and wait and watch. There's a passive wait-and-see, look-out, um, um, stop struggling, balance between the light and the dark, and um, wait. That's what the moon tells us. There's phases in the moon. There's the crescent moon, the full moon, the waxing and waning of life. And when we look at the moon goddess religions, um, we understand that moon goddesses are ferocious, right? Um, Diana killed people that saw her naked. Um, so what do we make of the passive high priestess wearing the moon on her head? That beyond that cool exterior lies a great deal of passion. We're looking at opposites and equals. That's a very complex card. You know, dwell on it. Um, the um, there's a mystery of life, a mystery that we may not ever um, solve. We we must train ourselves to understand this mystery, and we'll never be able to put it into words. We'll see you next week with the Empress.